Well, Peggy got up and introduced herself as the moderator. So I guess I should introduce myself to some of you who don't know me, that are new here. I'm Ellis Keck. I was named after the social hall up here. And, uh, I keep showing up like skin rash, I think. Well, when David Henry took over as the interim pastor, I thought that I needed to stand down and stand back. And on a couple of occasions, Peggy there said, now we don't want you to leave like you did before. Well, it's customary for former pastors to get out of the way to allow the new pastor and the church to do the bonding necessary to form a wholesome working relationship. So David and I met and discussed the church and tied in on certain subjects and talked about some of you. And uh, I tried to tried to be as complimentary as I could without lying. But uh, well, anyway, he assured me that he would welcome my presence and my help. So I'm here helping. Well, I would. Uh, assured him that I would stick around as long as I didn't see myself getting in the way. But then I was left with a quandary of how involved I thought I should become. So I checked again with Peggy, and she was a lot of help. She says, get as involved as you want to be. Well, that didn't, uh, didn't, that wasn't quite what I wanted to hear anyway. I wanted something a little more descriptive, but that was good enough. So I thought maybe what I'd better do is figure out how I should be involved. As I thought about it, the new t- I thought about it, the New Testament figure of Barnabas came to my mind. Barnabas is spoken of as the son of comfort or the son of encouragement. So I thought that's really what I want my ministry to be about during these happy sunset years. But then I thought I'd better read up on Barnabas before I start trading on his name. And I learned some things about the man that I really admire. The first being that without Barnabas, I don't think Paul would have amounted to much. And I'll go on to spell that out. We know the story of Saul's conversion on the Damascus Road. God stopped him right in his tracks. And as a result of his encounter with God, he was left blind. Now he's as physically blind as he was spiritually blind. And he had to be led by the hand into the house in Damascus on Straight Street to the home of one Judas of Damascus. He's there a while, and God prompts Ananias to go to him, to minister to him, and the scales fell off of his eyes as well as his soul. Saul's testimony at that time, because there are so many that knew and how how awful that he was, how awful that he was, that he was actually a terrorist, they believed him, and many people came to hear him. It was a powerful testimony, but it wasn't long until the word got around about him and he becomes a marked man, marked by the very people that he was the leader of some time before. 
So he spirited out of town by being led down over the wall in a basket into the arms of who? Barnabas, who had arrived from Antioch to take him to Jerusalem. Antioch is north of Jerusalem, by the way. And again, Saul in Jerusalem gets into trouble. So Barnabas takes him to Antioch, where for a year he works with Saul, prepares him for ministry, that is to say, the Gentile ministry. And one must say parenthetically here, Paul was such a pain for the early church, especially the Jerusalem church, that, uh, you know, the Jerusalem folks were just very happy to get Paul out of Jerusalem into Antioch. And when it come time to talk about the ministry, they were very happy to see him go up into Asia Minor and Greece anywhere but Jerusalem. Well, Barnabas was willing to work with him, prepare him for his missionary ministry, that is, the Gentile ministry. So who is this man, Barnabas? He was from Crete, a descendant of the house of Levi, so he was out of some influential people in, in Jerusalem, and he was from the priestly line. He probably was converted by Stephen, the one who, uh, at this time, the terrorist Saul, approved of his, of his stoning. He had property, which he sold and brought to the disciples in Jerusalem. And after a time, the elders in Jerusalem uh, send him to Antioch to help the Christians' community there. He is there over a year when word of Saul's plight reaches him, so he goes to Damascus to bring Saul back to Jerusalem. Who was Barnabas? A man who, through God's grace, understood something of God's will. He had a glimpse of the big picture and the breadth of the gospel. That is to say, the gospel is for the salvation of all humanity. He's a man who sees a potential in others, and he does what he can to nurture that potential. So after a time of training, conversation, and interpretation, I suppose, by Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas under the Spirit launch out on a missionary journey to bring God's good news to the non-Jewish communities in Asia Minor. But on the way, Barnabas' cousin, John Mark, who I suppose gets seasick and a little bit scared, turns and goes back to Antioch, leaving Paul and Barnabas to go on to start churches in Antioch of Pisidia, that's another Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, and Derbe. These are four of the churches that we read about in the opening chapters of Revelation. They started those churches and they, they flourished. Paul and Barnabas return to Antioch for a time and then decide to go again to Asia Minor to visit those churches and see how those early Christians are doing. But there arose a problem. John Mark, the one who had, you know, turned back, was willing to try it again. But Paul wants nothing to do with him. But Barnabas, the great inter the great uh, one of comfort and so forth and so gets right into Paul's face. He is going. 
So Paul takes another member of that early church, a man named Silas, and they go on into what we call the western part of Asia Minor. They wind up down in Troy, and we heard the, we know the story of the Macedonian minister, the visionary, and so forth, and and invites uh, him to to come over into Damascus and Macedonia, and, uh, rather to Macedonia, and, and uh, on into Greece. Barnabas takes John Mark, this one who dropped out, and off they go into their own area, and I'm sure they're the ones that went on to revisit these churches that were established on that first missionary journey. From which I have concluded over the years that sometimes church splits are not necessarily a bad thing. Now you have two teams going out spreading God's word instead of one. Paul and Silas, they went on to establish the churches at Philippi, Macedonia, and Corinth. And I would assume that Barnabas and Mark went on to visit those churches in Lystra and Derbe and Iconium and Antioch and nurtured these and started others in the eastern part of Asia Minor. So that by the end of the century, when John begins, and I don't know whether this is John Mark that we're talking about or, or uh, another John, writing the book of Revelation, writes them, and in those, pick up you know, your, book, your Bible sometime and read the first four chapters of Revelation. He writes to these churches that are established congregations and have a track record of, of witness in that part, in their part of the world. Who is Barnabas? He was a servant of God. Now, Paul left a paper trail, but Barnabas didn't. Paul had Luke with him, and Luke kept a record, and you can read in the introduction to Luke and also into the introduction to, to, um, uh, to Acts about, about him. Paul spent a lot of time in jail, and he had uh, probably Luke with him as, as a secretary. They call him amanuensis in those days. But my assumption is that Barnabas, meanwhile, was busy in the ministry the whole time. He didn't worry about keeping records, just did the job, just did the job. Seize the occasion that each day brought, coaching new churches, leading new converts to Christ, being that one to smooth things over. Now, while Barnabas uh, didn't uh, leave a paper trail, I, for one, believe that I see his influence in Paul's writings, especially in Galatians and Corinthians and Ephesians and Philippians and in Romans. Where you see the human side of Paul, I believe you see the human side of Barnabas. Left to his own devices, Paul was a hellraiser and I'm very sure would have sown dissension wherever he could. In fact, just parenthetically now, he, uh, he and Silas uh, took a, a missionary offering and was going back to Jerusalem with it. And when they got back to Jerusalem, it wasn't long that he was there until there was a, a dissension arose and, and so forth. And Paul then was arrested and so forth and sent to Rome and all that. You know that story. 
But when you read these words, now the greatest of these, there are three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I do believe, brothers and sisters, that Barnabas planted those words right in his head. I say thank you to God for Barnabas and all those who carry on his ministry, for he knew what Jesus was all about and what Jesus had in mind for his people. And so he was posi is in position to give Paul godly counsel. And I have to say, folks, that my prayer is that when I am asked, I may give godly counsel. Not just my two-bit opinions, not just what I think, you know, at the top of my head, but I mean honest to goodness, helpful, godly counsel. As Barnabas went out on the limb for Saul, later to become Paul, or John Mark, the scared kid, the one who ran away when Jesus got arrested, well, later to become the evangelist. I hope I have the courage to run interference for talented young men and women, whoever they are. And I pray that God will give me wisdom to take the long view and glimpse the big picture so that I'm not swept away back and forth with every wind of doctrine, as they say, so that I can provide some stability in the face of the storms when they come rolling over the horizon. And indeed, they have, and they surely will. There's an old spiritual that goes, if I can help somebody as I travel on, if I can cheer somebody with a word or a song, if I can show somebody where he's going wrong, then my living will not be in vain. Now up to this point, this seems like it's all about me. Well, let me tell you about it. It's all about you. I commend Barnabas to you. You know, one time there's a, a porno shop set up over in Jerome. And uh, we had a meeting of the Jerome Ministerial Association, and we were talking about it. As a part of that ministerial association was a Jewish guy. He was uh, the head of the local worshiping Jewish group. There wasn't a, any kind of a synagogue or anything like that, but they were people that got together. And uh, we were sitting talking about uh, pornography and all this kind of stuff and what was going on in the town. And, and he turned to us and he says, you know, you guys sound like you're a bunch of little Isaiahs. Well, he says, I got to tell you, Isaiahs only come around once every 500 years. You ain't Isaiahs. Well, that kind of took us back a little bit. And I would go on to add, there is only one Paul. And parenthetically, I say, thank God for that. That's all we need is one Paul. One Paul. But we need Barnabases in every day and in every way to show us the way to raise our sights when we're downcast, to struggle, to struggle with us, to straighten out our, our thinking. And I would suggest to you 
as indeed Ken said, go out and be a Barnabas to somebody that needs an encouraging word. Who has been Barnabas to you? Who has been, I don't know what a female form of Barnabas might be, Barnabasine, but anyway, who has been that person, that encouraging word to you, bringing that, that godly word, that word of comfort, that word sometime of correction, that word of strength? We can look at the record, the gospel record, and see how he handled Paul all those years. And we indeed thank God for him, that he was there. And indeed, his testimony is for us. Let us pray. God, our Father, grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the living of this hour. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.